0: Okay, so we've come to an amazing passage. It's a very important portion of Scripture that not only has acted as a reference for pastors like myself to speak on marriage and things of that nature, but has been repeatedly used by the rest of Scripture to make a point. Let me give you an example, several examples. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Apostle Paul wanted to address the role of women and the role of men, and so he would reference this passage here in Genesis. Then in Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus was asked about really the lawfulness of divorce, he would take us back here to this passage. Or how about in 1 Timothy chapter 2, when the issue was about church leadership, Apostle Paul again, we we reference back here to this passage for guidance. So this passage, it's important. Say it's important. It addresses a lot of significant topics like roles for men and for women. It talks about divorce. It talks about marriage and so on and so forth. And so like Apostle Paul and Jesus, I'll be referencing back to Baptist passages throughout the Genesis sermon series in the future. But for now, I want to address one particular topic. Can everyone say marriage? Marriage. Yes. Okay. Now, I don't know about you. But I'm sure that many of you guys, when you were young, you already grew up with an opinion or perspective on marriage. Maybe for some of you guys, ladies in particular, you grew up with Disney movies, right? Disney movies with Disney princesses. Just the other day, my daughter actually went to school wearing her, princess, her Cinderella dress. When she went there, all the kids started going, oh. You know, you see Sleeping Beauty, and she's up in that tower, she's beautiful, and Prince Charming comes along and he wakes her up with a kiss. He defeats a dragon and they live happily ever after. And so you have this idea, yeah, to be married, a guy, who needs to be my knight in shining armor. He, where is my prince? I am his damsel. I am his princess. Where is my prince? Who is the one willing to fight the dragons of life for me? I want to be rescued. I want to have security. I want to live happily ever after like Sleeping Beauty. Do you ever think that? Our, our daughters, our girls, when they grow up and they see that, that's what they see, that's what they want. But you know, when I see that movie, I just see some girl in a coma <laughs> with some creep making out with her. But early on in our lives, we have an understanding of what marriage and what happiness in terms of commitment and just union, what it looks like. But then what happens to the girl? They grow up. She moves on from childish Disney movies to the bridal magazine section of Target where there are rows and rows and rows of bridal magazines of what's in and what's out and what's hot and what's not and how to have the most amazing dress. How to have the most amazing wedding party, wedding ceremony, reception, honeymoon, and the list goes on and on and on. So you ladies start thinking practically of what I would like to have, an intimate wedding or a big wedding. You want to invite close friends and family or invite the whole city of Fairfax. right? <laughs> Meanwhile, you got, during that time as you're contemplating and thinking about marriage, you meet a nice guy. Things are going well. You start talking about marriage and next thing you know, as Christians, we get engaged to be engaged, right? Meaning there's no casual dating just to hook up for the sake of hooking up, but there's intentionality in our dating relationships. And so what happens for the guy? The guy, he starts going out looking for a diamond ring. Yeah. So he sells his favorite guitar. He sells his car. He sells his birthright. He becomes an indentured servant to pay for that rock that will shine and glimmer the moment you open that box. And he proposes and says, "Will you marry me?" And you say, "Yes, a thousand times yes." And the guy starts giving himself his mental high fives, saying, "Yes." She said, "Yes." I'm so happy. And they give each other a peck on the cheek and then a side hug because remember, we're still holy. And so we have the girl who grew up with Disney movies, wanting a fairy tale wedding of sorts. But we also have the guy who grew up, maybe not really fantasizing about marriage, but kind of learned from his old man to just go with it. So he does. But the point is when marriage hits, when the wedding bells stop ringing, when the dust settles from their exotic honeymoon trips, after Sleeping Beauty and Prince Charming, ride right off into the sunset, they suddenly realize, what did I get myself into? It's kind of like when you buy Ikea furniture. <laughs> it looks great online. It's something I need. It's affordable. By the way, I'm not using those words analogically. Okay, But once I buy it and I open the box, all these pieces come out. And online you see something just easy and beautiful and just kind of like, you know, there it is. But you open the box, everything comes out, and next to you know you realize, man, tools are needed. Not only that, you finally see the label, the label that you forgot to see or that maybe you even ignored. It said, much assembly required. The thing with marriage is that it also comes with that label. Much assembly required. It takes a lifetime of work to put put it together the right way, and I think for everyone and anyone who's ever been married or is married is that we kind of enter into marriage a bit cluelessly, unsure exactly what to expect. Sure, we'll do premarital counseling. You'll hear me ramble on about what to do and what not to do and what the Bible says and so on and so forth, and maybe some of you guys will even read books about how to best equip yourself and learn from other seasoned married couples and so on and so forth, but ultimately we're clueless. We're clueless, and we just sometimes just don't get it. And the world and our culture, they certainly don't help us, because all it does is really emphasize this, the wedding portion. They, spend, they say, spend this much, or have this kind of theme. Look this way, or go honeymoon over there, and on and on it goes. There's no talk about what to expect after the ceremony, And so there's no preparation for what happens after the ceremony. There's no talk about lifetime commitment. There's no talk about being wise as a wife or a husband or anything like that. Now, by the way, I want to tell you all, I'm not bashing on weddings, okay, or having a large wedding. We know that Jesus attended and even participated in a large, extravagant wedding. Some weddings lasted for a week. You know what Jesus' first miracle was? It was at a wedding, He performed a miracle, and that was he changed water into wine. So here's the thing. If you're planning on having a big wedding, do it. Go for it. I believe that God would love it. I believe that he could be honored. It brings entire ministry together. It brings entire community together. It's one big celebration where people get to see your love and devotion for one another. So I think it's great. But it becomes a problem when our focus and our vision ends there. Okay? When all we can see is a ceremony and reception— A one-day event and lose sight of the lifetime of marriage that immediately follows. Now, I firmly believe that most of our marital problems occur when we neglect reading and obeying God's instructions. I believe that. Remember, much assembly required. You have to read the manual. You can't just wing it. But without taking time to figure out where the bolt goes, where the screw goes, where the nail goes, and we try to just superglue everything, it's going to ultimately fall apart. We can't keep going back to talk shows or Nicholas Sparks novels to get an understanding of marriage and commitment. We need to get back to the Word. Say, get back to the Word. Now, you might say, well, the Bible's old, Pastor David. It's archaic. It's primitive. And I say, no, It's timeless. It's timeless because it was God who designed marriage, amen? God did it. And this text today describes for us the original marriage. And so this becomes, this template here becomes the basis, the template, the blueprint for almost everything else the Bible says about marriage. So let's get into it, okay? The first point is that God designed marriage as an act of grace for humans to have companionship. Can you say companionship? Now this verse is interesting, isn't it? It's not good for the man to be alone. Now get this. Everything else that God had made, he would survey his own work and he would declare it good. I made this, I made that, and it is good. But this is the first time God says something about his workmanship, about his craftsmanship, about his creation and says, it's not good. It's interesting if you think about it. God made man sinless. So here we have this Sinless, perfect man who is in perfect fellowship with a perfect God, living in a perfect environment. What more could this guy want? Adam is so high maintenance, right? What more could he want? Wasn't it all enough? So you and I, we have this spiritual, super spiritual notion, thinking that if we're lonely, that must mean that we have something wrong with our spiritual lives, it's interesting how God not only acknowledges our need for fellowship with him, but he also acknowledges our need for fellowship with our spouse, with a mate. Now we need to also know that not everyone is called to be married. We know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Apostle Paul, he shared his calling to be celibate and to be single. And so marriage, it's a gift that we've been given. It's an opportunity that we can fulfill. Not to say that marriage will totally satisfy us and meet every aspect of our need for companionship, but here, according to his text, we read that God's design for marriage was to meet and can definitely help us in terms of our need for companionship. You believe that? Amen. There's more. First, let me talk about the design of marriage. God designed marriage. Say that. God designed marriage. Not society. Not civilizations, not culture, not one nation, not a particular people group, but God. God designed marriage. And we need to know that it takes three to make a good marriage. Man, woman, God. It takes three. Say to your neighbor, it takes three. That's why we enter into a marital union with, if we enter into a marital union with an unbeliever, it not only disobeys God, but it also means that you'll be entering into a marriage lacking with the most important, crucial component, God. Remember, God is really the glue that holds marriage together. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it immediately brought separation and accusation into their union when they began blaming everyone but themselves. Broken marriages have always involved, and we're talking about two Christian marriages, broken marriages have always involved at least one partner moving away from God. So they begin to move away from their spouse. Okay? So here we have God designed marriage but let's look at this verse again here. God also says that he'll make Adam a suitable a helper suitable for him. A helper suitable. Now when people read this verse many people think it's demeaning. A helper? God made Eve as Eve as a helper? Really? But the idea of helper, it's not someone who sweeps the floor or washes the dishes or cleans the clothes and makes the meals while the guy sits in the recliner with a beer in his other one hand and the remote control in the other. We're not talking about that. So that's not what helper means. In fact, in the book of Psalms, the word helper is used to describe God himself. It's used to describe God himself. Helper isn't some servant it's not. Helper, get this and understand this. Helper is someone who supplies what is lacking in another person. That's a helper. Someone who supplies what is lacking in another person. And that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9, we read of Paul saying that man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Isn't that interesting? God created Eve to do what Adam could not, what he cannot do himself. He was lacking. Adam was lacking. So he needed someone to, quote-unquote, complete him, so to speak. By the way, there's no basis here for the view that men are superior to women and that women are less than men. Both are equal persons in the eyes of God, and yet both have distinct roles to fulfill. Can I hear an amen? All right. Now, God, he made Adam from dust, Why didn't God make Eve from dust too? Why did he make her out of Adam? I think it was to ensure that man was to cherish his wife as his own flesh. As his own flesh. And that theme goes on in Ephesians chapter 5. Eve wasn't taken out of Adam's foot so that it would imply that he would, what, rule over her, put her down. Nor did Eve come from Adam's head as to rule over him. So no, she was taken from his side, his rib, a place of equality, a place close to his heart. Can you say all? That's beautiful, isn't it? But why didn't God make her at the same time he made Adam? Why not at the same time? Before God created Eve, God assigned Adam to name the animals. Now, this was a task before the creation of Eve, but why? It seems like a strange insert here in this passage. God's like, Adam, you're lonely, and I feel your pain. Hey, go name some animals right? It just seems a bit odd, but I believe that God here was teaching Adam a lesson because by naming all the animals, Adam discovered something. He learned something that every animal were both male and female because as he was doing this, he was saying, Mr. Rabbit, Mrs. Rabbit, Mr. Giraffe, Mrs. Giraffe, Giraffe, Mr. Buffalo, Mrs. Buffalo. Wait, there's a Mr. and a Mrs. And in verse 20, it says, after that, he said, no suitable helper was found. Oh, It made it seem that God first made Adam feel the need for a wife. You know, when you have a healthy balance in your marriage, when there's a give and take, when both parents parent and both support one another, you soon realize your need for each other. You know, the other day, my wife, she had had gone back into the workforce after her very short maternity leave, and that week she was on call. So that meant Daddy had... Both kids. Now I'm okay. Thanks for asking. But Grandma took my my daughter Ada for the evening to take her to Iwana and to actually uh, spend that evening with her, and so so that I could just focus on my son Jr. But I had this as I was just taking care of my boy. I had this odd feeling at night. It wasn't because I was overwhelmed with my newborn. He wasn't all that fussy or anything. He was relatively chill. He ate, he pooed. he cooed, right? But with my wife gone, after having her with me twenty-four-seven for the past six weeks, and having her gone, it felt lonely. I felt weird. I felt needy. Wife, I need you. Where's she? And she took the Ada out. <laughs> I needed her. It's, I'm serious. I needed her presence to comfort me. God's answer to Adam's loneliness was simple and profound. He created a partner for Adam, like him, from him, and yet different. The Hebrew word tells a story, just like the English word, actually. Man and woman. You see, the word for man is ish, and the, man, and the word for woman is ishah. The difference is the same as English. Man and woman. Woman came from man. Ishah came from ish. Adam's deep loneliness is met by a woman created by God, and from this we learn that the gift of a wife comes from God himself. Can all the men say amen? The gift of a wife comes from God himself, amen? (laughs) Amen. When God brought Eve to Adam, God, he showed his sovereignty. Did you get that? God showed Adam his control. God showed Adam his understanding, his great love over the most intimate areas of Adam's life. And we learned that God, he can be trusted to provide a mate at the right time, at the right place, in the right way. So anxious single men, anxious single women, you need to hear this word from the Lord. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. God knows who you'll marry. God knows. Note that it happened... This entire time while Adam slept, by the way. This means that Adam had nothing to do with any of this Eve making other than supplying the raw material. It's not like as of God, he asked, you know, uh, Adam for his input or allowed him to place an order. Yeah, God, I'd like uh, a five-foot-seven. I'd like also someone who would be a faithful woman of God, someone who worships with her eyes closed and her hands up during service, and someone who knows how to make a quilt with Bible verses on it. Nothing of that sort happened. God created the woman while Adam slept, which teaches us men that God, he doesn't need our help in designing a wife suitable for us. Blessed is the man who doesn't try to improve upon the kind of woman we need. How about this, guys? Let's start praying that we become the kind of person our spouse needs. Let's start praying that we work on ourselves that we grow in our own relationship with God, that we devote ourselves to greater discipleship. Stop fixating on what he or she needs to be like in order to satisfy our own personal expectations, and let's right now start instead improving ourselves, growing our own personal walk with the Lord. Can can I hear an amen? Amen. Did you get a little bit too real here? All right. Now, the way God made Eve out of Adam is pretty interesting. The Hebrew word is... Built, right? But it means like to fashion like the way a potter would fashion a sculpture out of clay. <clears throat> when God made Eve, she was a bombshell. I'm not I'm not making this up. I'm really not. Okay, they don't use the word bombshell. But she was a bombshell. Okay. Think about this for a moment. Do you think God, the creator of the universe, is gonna do a bad job? Right? And I'll I'll prove why I'm saying this. Because in verse 23, it has this amazing Hebrew poetic exclamation, this phrase, that unfortunately gets lost in our English translations. Okay? So for us, when we read it, it says, This at last. But in Hebrew, it means this. Adam says, This is it! Voila! Yes! It is! This is it! Imagine the same for a second here. Adam is flat on his back, on the ground, just beginning to stir from his, from his divine anesthesia. Okay? And as he opens his eyes, yes, he sees the Lord. But he also sees next to him this beautiful, amazing, blushing creature that he's never seen before. So he's running through his mental list of animals she's, okay, she's not a giraffe. She's not a rat, maybe a fox. Not a porcupine. What is she? She looks like him. In fact, she looks a lot like him, but clearly very different too. Then his brain says, this is it. Yes. This is what I've been looking for. I've I've been naming animals all day. And I'm still saying, I'm still feeling lonely to the point where the Lord says, man, I need to find a suitable helper for him. And finally he's like, this is it. You are what I've been looking for. Where have you been all my life? Let me tell you this, people. This is a passionate statement. So men, hear me out. Wake up. And let's all take note from our first father. We must be passionate and excited to see our wives. Amen? (laughs) To be intimate with our wives, to be in companionship with our wives, don't allow the dull routine of our lives to sap your energy, your passion, and your romance from your marriage. Why is it that we give 100% work then if only we bring back, what, 10% back home? It doesn't work that way. We need to have passion. Reignite your passion. This is it. Go on date nights. Send your kids to the grandparents. Pay a poor struggling EM college student to babysit your kids. Do what you have to do to rekindle your love and your passion for her because it is important. It is necessary. It is your marriage. This is it. Amen? I'm hearing more amens from women than men. Another interesting point we see found in verse 22 is that <clears throat> we read God brought her to the man. As a pastor, I've been in ministry for nearly 10 years, and I've been able to watch and to witness proud fathers escort their daughters down the aisle. And I hope one day I could do that for my little girl too, but that's what, happ- that's what happened here in Eden. God was the father of the bride, And he personally brings her to Adam. There was no courtship. There was no dating, right? It was no arranged marriage. And God, he led Eve through the beautiful garden, the lush greenery around them, and presented her to her love. Adam, God was there as her father. God was there as the minister. God was there as the witness. Now, what's the point of what I'm saying here? The only thing Adam and Eve, okay, brought out from the garden, not only was the sin that Entered from the fall, but what they brought out from the garden was marriage. Marriage is older than the church, it's older than the nations, it's older than government, it's older than culture, it's older than society. Marriage was God's first gift to the human race, therefore, marriage is not a joke. Marriage is not a fluid concept. It's serious. It's important. It's worth fighting for. It's worth waiting for. It's worth praying for. It's worth defending. Marriage is worth it. And the desire for a man or a woman wanting to get married, that's a good desire. You want to get married? That's a good desire. There's nothing to roll your eyes about. Your desire for a lifelong spousal companion, it's good. It's good that you want to be intimate and to be in a real and loving relationship with your husband or with your wife of your life. The sacrifices that you make for them, the things that you do, the constant giving, it's worth it. There's nothing wrong with wanting to spend your life with one man or one woman. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, the desire was placed in our hearts by God from the beginning. And I say that because in this day and age, it almost seems inflammatory for a person to want to get married and be somewhat vocal about it. People might respond, oh gosh, really? You're so just primitive, you're so obsessive, you're so needy. Are you that afraid of being alone? You're so fill in the blank. It's like people are praised for saying, I don't need a man. They're praised for saying, I don't need a woman I'm fine. I'm a strong, independent woman. I'm a strong, independent man. But as soon as people say, man, I really want to get married. I really want to get married. I wish to have a husband. I wish to have a wife. People start scoffing at them. If you want to get married, brothers and sisters, that's good. It's a desire the Lord has placed in your heart from the beginning. Amen? It's good. Turn to your neighbor and say, marriage is good. The last couple of verses says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is an important verse. Because it really brings home the argument for what marriage is and what our expectations should be. First of all, it teaches us that it's not some man-made institution that we can define and redefine. But we can learn from this example that God's original plan was meant for one man and one woman joined in marriage for life. That is the ideal. Now, I know, look, brothers and sisters, I know we live in a fallen world. I know that we live in fallen bodies and fallen societies and whatever you want to call it. And we all make mistakes. I know that there are tragedies in life that happen. I know that there's unfaithfulness, but like Jesus was saying in Matthew 19 when he was confronted by these pretentious, hypocritical, prideful Pharisees saying, oh, Jesus, tell me about what is a lawful reason for divorce? Jesus saying, not say, okay, I'll give you the 10 reasons, infidelity or death or being a widow. No, he goes back to this passage in Genesis. He begins to talk about the original plan, one man, one woman, forever, lifetime, till death do them apart. It's like Jesus saying this, look, I know it's not easy. I know marriage is not easy, and there'll be a thousand reasons people will say or do to justify why their marriage ended up the way it did. But I want to tell you all that there was such a time, that there was an ideal, a blueprint that we should never, ever forget, no matter how bad life gets. That there was a blueprint that we should always aim to follow. To follow that guide, no matter how ego shattering or how painful it might be to stick it out. And so, Jesus says, or so, so the Lord tells us here in this verse, He gives us four important components of Christian marriage. First is this leave, which is leaving your parents. Second is cleave, which means uniting to your wife or your husband. Third is intimacy, becoming one in flesh. Fourth is transparency, being naked, which means to be fully known and not being ashamed. So leaving means breaking away from your parents to establish a home of your own. Something I believe a lot of Korean families or Korean people have a hard time doing. But this means that you are no longer under the authority of your parents. This means you as husband, you as wife, must establish your own rules, establish your own life, and your own trajectory. Leaving doesn't mean that you ignore your siblings and your parents and leaving your families. No, it doesn't mean that you don't spend time with them. Leaving now means that you're recognizing that you have a new family, and this new family means that they take greater priority than your older family, than your old family. Does that make sense? Your new family takes priority than your previous family. Amen. Cleaving means glued tightly together, that nothing can tear you apart. Now, cleaving doesn't mean that you never leave your spouse for a moment. You become super needy and you're clinging onto them like constantly, 24/7, saying, "Where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going?" And then you GPS their iPhone to figure out if they, they said they're actually going to work or not, or and all this stuff, and being just neurotic. That's not what I'm saying here. It doesn't mean that you can't have outside friendships. Cleaving means that you will always support and back your spouse up through the rough patches, rough seasons, the difficult circumstances of life. Cleaving together like glue will help your marriage endure through the hard times, and though you may both come out of it battered and bruised, your marriage will also come out of it more refined and beautiful and stronger. You have to be your spouse's biggest cheerleader. You have to be their number one fan. Intimacy means one flesh. When Adam recognized that Eve was made from a rib of his, he realized that she was a part of him. They were, in fact, one flesh not only in terms of the anatomical bond that occurs during sexual intimacy, but being one flesh also means that you are no longer separate people, but one entity, one mind, one heart, one body. This also means that even though maybe you're the breadwinner, okay, doesn't mean it's your money and she or he gets to use it with permission. Emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, financially, and in every possible way, the couple becomes one. And like I said about the physical aspect, the one result, one flesh results in children that their union produces. And so these children really grow up with a specific genetic makeup, specific to the parents' union. It's beautiful. One flesh. Lastly, transparency. It means nakedness. Turn to your neighbor and say nakedness. Why why did I say that? No matter how fit and fabulous you are. I would say most people would not want to walk around naked. It's too shameful. While we maybe want to, maybe you want to be noticed sometimes in life, you would actually never want to be the focal attention in life, would you? Constantly, all eyes on you. Why? Because that would mean we would be displaying our imperfections. Our imperfections, both physical imperfections and emotional imperfections, and the idea of just being exposed, transparent, is scary. It's a scary thought. But in marriage, transparency is so important. A husband and wife, they ought to be relaxed and comfortable together. Walls need to be broken down, and it may take several months, to several years even. Even in marriages of 10 years and more, husbands and wives are still unwilling to really open up themselves to each other. They're still unwilling to lay down their pride and their egos. There's still a demand for perfection, even when we know that no one is perfect. There's still unforgiveness, and there's still lack of compassion. There's still avoidance and acceptance of each other for who we are, and we want them changed change to fit our expectations instead of us accepting and realizing and loving who they are. Now, that's not to say, hey, I'm a slob, and so you have to accept me for who I am but I'm talking about personality traits. I'm talking about perhaps hobbies and interests and tastes and passions. It's too painful to have to put up your guard up at home every single time, walking on eggshells, praying that your spouse doesn't have some sort of critical whatever to throw your way. Transparency is important because it allows you both to be naked, fully known, and yet fully loved. Now, if you're single... This is what the Lord says. Be content in your singleness as the Lord is trying to do something new in your life. Let your devotion to God grow bigger and rise higher. Grow in your godliness and purity and pray and look for a mate. Look for a mate who is committed to do the same. Don't compromise. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't compromise. Look, I have heard too many guys and too many girls say when asked, Hey, you have a boyfriend? You have a girlfriend? Oh, okay. How is she or how is he spiritually? And they say, Oh, Pastor David, you'll love him. You'll love her they go to church. Or, Oh, Pastor David, they're greats. Their parents are Christians. I hear that. That doesn't mean much, people. So here's how you can gauge their spirit. Okay? Are you ready for this? It's it's revolutionary. Here it is. You ask them. You talk about spiritual lives, spiritual things together. Have you guys noticed that much of our dating conversations have little or nothing to do with the most important person in our lives, Jesus? Have you noticed that? Instead, it's always talk about ambition. It's talk about work. Is talk about family, hobbies, Team Jacob or Team Edward, right? But nothing ever really with, so what has God been saying to you this past week since the last time we talked? It's never been about, so what do you think of, you know, our community and how we can reach out to them? Pray that your future may be centered on God so that your marriage will reflect to the world the picture of Christ in the church. If you're married to an unbeliever, know that by God's grace that he is with you. And you are called to win your spouse, not necessarily with words, but by your godly character and behavior, says that in 1 Peter 3. Now, this may sound harsh. We know that the Lord has not commanded us to marry an unbeliever. But know again that even despite our disobedience and rebellion, God's grace will lead you to give you strength, So, if you have married a non believer, still trust in God. Still unconditionally love your spouse. And hopefully, by God's grace, the same grace that was given to you, that God will bring him or her to salvation. If you're married, then God's word to you is that you grow deeper in your companionship with your spouse. Is your marriage reflecting Christ and the church to the world that is a world that's self seeking? pleasure-seeking, man-centered? When people are with you and your husband and you and your wife, are they edified? Do they grow in their love for God? Does, is the Lord honored in just that conversation they have, in just in being in your presence? And look, we know that marriages, they don't run on autopilot. It requires communication, a lot of attention and work. Remember, much assembly required. But when you allow the gospel to permeate through your life and your marriage, you will see that despite the hardships, God's grace and his commitment to you both will lead you and meet your needs. Amen? If you're married, here's my challenge. I'm all about challenges these days, if you guys recall, my life of discussions, right? I'm just constantly challenging people. If you're married, take moments throughout the week for every week for the rest of your life to recommit yourself to your spouse. Constantly. Recommit yourself to your spouse. Share your vows to each other. Express words of love, adoration, of respect, admiration. All that. If your marriage is in some difficulty, don't let things just blow by. Pray for God's healing power and wisdom to come into your relationship. If you're a widow or a widower, thank God for the good memories and ask Him for grace, and ask Him for comfort. If you're single because of divorce, now's the time where you pray for an extra intimate relationship with the Lord to fill that void in our hearts. If you're a single parent, ask God to be the missing parent for your child or children. If you've never been married, pray that God will bring His best to you in His own time, in His own place, in His own way, and commit to the Lord that you will not settle for second best. Now, you've heard a lot of things regarding marriage today, and there's so much more. I had to condense it to 10 pages. And maybe your takeaway is that, PD, you're promoting marriage as the end all, be all, and necessity of life. And that's not true. Whether you're a seminarian surrounded by Christian scholars or you're a devoted church member who's every week is dedicated to church discipleship and fellowship. Or maybe you're some random stranded person on a deserted island with nothing but your faith. Each person can grow in their relationship to the Lord. Because my point is this, all we need is Christ, ultimately. All we need is Christ. But the Lord has also given us measures of grace through various means to help us along our spiritual journey. The reality is that God, he knows our weaknesses. He knows what we need and what will help us. So he's given us the written word of God to reveal truth to us, to guide us through life, and to clearly communicate the gospel of salvation. He's given us the gift of prayer so that we can depend on him and communicate with him. He's also given us a church to grow in accountability and sacrificial love. He's given us wealth so that we can show the generosity of the Lord and spread the resources around for those who are in need and that we can also enjoy things in life. But he's given us marriage so that we can display, not just have a companion, not just have a need met, but so that we can display the amazing union that we have with him through Christ Jesus. When a married couple grows closer to God, they grow closer to each other. Marriage was never meant to take away our relationship with God. It was meant to heighten it. Our devotion to our spouses is to emphasize Christ's devotion to the church. The sacrifices that you and I, that we make for our spouses and family, were meant to brilliantly display the ultimate sacrifice Christ made on the cross for his spiritual family. While marriage is important, without Christ as a center... It's a marriage that will ultimately be built on shifting sands. So brothers and sisters, I end with this. Marriage is from God. It's good to desire it, and it aims to glorify His name. Don't pursue marriage the way the world has. Pursue it prayerfully the way God has intended. Then and only then will you truly experience the fullness of God's gift of marriage in your life, in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Maybe for some of us here, marriage is lasting on our minds because maybe we're just too young or you just feel like you're not there. But I think it's still important for us to understand what marriage is and to prepare ourselves for it. God, we thank you for the gift of marriage. We acknowledge, Lord, that your ways are perfect, and that you have not made a mistake. And so, God, we confess that without you and without your guidance, it is impossible to be successful or to be happy or for us to really do anything. And so I just pray right now, if anything, not even regarding the subject or topic of marriage, but as Christians, as people who are seeking you, as individuals, Lord, that we will submit ourselves to you and say, God, that you are God, And you know what's right. You know what's true. Lord, I do pray for the EM here. And we have a few families here. We have a few couples, husbands and wives. We have some who are in dating relationships. but I pray that we would eventually become a church filled with happy, joyful Christian homes where Christ can be so evidently seen in our relationships, in our marriages. I pray for those here who are hurting, and who are lonely, that they would receive a refreshing touch from your spirit. And for those who have been wounded, Lord, I pray for healing. Father, I lift up all the marriages here in our congregation. And I pray that each one would be strengthened. Lord, we stand united by faith against everything the devil would want to do to destroy this beautiful union that you have created. And so, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would preserve our marriages. hold us. May you help us to grow closer, not just with each other, but with you, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would not just survive or endure, but we would flourish in our marriages so that we can all just be joyful and enjoy you, Lord, as the glue that holds us together. So, Father, I pray for all our, all our singles as well. And maybe they're a bit anxious. Maybe they're a bit concerned or unsure. Maybe there's even apathy, saying, I, I don't need it. Because, again, the world has said, no, you're fine without this, and you can be an independent person, and, and marriage is, is, is limiting, it's restricting. No, Lord, you made marriage, and it was good. So I pray for our singles that they would wait patiently, that they would wait prayerfully, that they would wait trusting in you, Lord. Now, even though we may not see who or she or he might be, Lord, you know, because you're sovereign. You're in control. And it's not our job to pray that that person fits every description that we have, but no, Lord, it's our job to work on us, and who we are. Because who we are, that's at least what we have control over. So give us the faith, Lord, to grow first independently. Brothers and sisters, I want to give you guys an opportunity, just like every Sunday. And maybe you're struggling in your marriage. And if that's the case, pray for your spouse, whether they're here or not. Maybe you want to get married and your heart is set, you know what, pray and say, Lord, just give me trust, give me faith and help me be fully satisfied in you first. But maybe for some of us, again, marriage is not even in our radar screen. Maybe today you can just pray and say, God, give me a full understanding of what marriage is so that I would be prepared. But ultimately, help us to understand, Lord, that um, marriage with you is, is the most important thing right now. So brothers and sisters, if you do not know Christ, it doesn't matter how amazing he or she is who enters into your life. Your wedding, your marriage, your life will be built on the most shaky foundation. Have Christ first. Establish a strong foundation first. Okay, so let's take a moment and just pray. Take your time. Let's pray and then we'll go into our last song.